It was a different world. When, when we were driving along the road and I looked out the window and there was a man and a woman on a motorcycle with three goats, I knew I was in a different world. I said, holy smokes, a guy and a woman and three goats on a motorcycle. And then we were getting hungry out at the village and there, there were always chickens running around everywhere. I mean, they were running, running, running all over the place. And, and we were going to have lunch and we were going to have chicken. I thought, oh, great, we're going to have chicken. I didn't realize it was Fred who had been running back and forth yesterday. You know, but what happens when you have chicken in Togo, the chickens are in such great shape, you bite into it and, and you get nothing because they're in such great shape. They are strong. They are tight. They are lean. There's nothing really to bite into. It's just the, the experience of a chicken leg without really the taste of a chicken leg. If you're looking to make a lot of money, you might want to think about a KFC in Togo. It would work really, really well. It was quite an amazing experience, and I want to tell you the story. John Burke, in the last couple chapters of his book, Soul Revolution, really sticks it to us. He points his finger right in our chest. He pokes at our soul, and he says, what are you doing? Are you really running to win? How are you handling what God has given you? He says there are 1.3 billion people who live in abject poverty in this world every day, earning less than $1 per day. 1.3 billion people earning less than a dollar a day. I ran into one of those people in Togo. She was selling corn and peanuts in this mixture. The corn was kind of lukewarm corn kernels. Uh, the, the peanuts were just boiled, and they were sort of soggy. It was mixed together. It was one of their, their favorite snacks there. And as I was tasting that snack, I was, I was having a dream about a bag of Fritos. Uh, you know, Fritos with the crunch. There was no crunch. There was not much there was not much taste, and this woman was eking out a meager existence, maybe pulling in a dollar or two dollars a day. And I looked at her, and she had a whole tray of this stuff, and I gave her $20. I said, here, just give everybody snacks. Everybody gets snacks. And for the next half an hour, she danced. For the next half an hour, she rejoiced. She was experiencing something that she rarely if ever experiences in her life. She was having a moment of abundance in a life that just kind of ekes out in existence every single day. There are three billion people who live on less than $2 per day. And here's what rocks my world. That's 75% of humanity. 75% of humanity lives like that. Let's go to the other side of the equation. The top 20% of the wealthiest people on the planet earn at least $1,800 per year. So if you're pulling in $150 a month, you are in the top 20% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you earn over $25,000 a year, you're in the top 10%. If you earn over $47,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. Somewhere towards the end of my week in Togo, 
God pressed this into my mind. So often we talk about how blessed we are, how blessed we are. And the realization came to me. It was, it was loud and it was very clear. We are so much more than blessed. Michael, you are so much more than blessed. And I realized that we are kings and queens. We are kings and queens. We live at the highest level of financial reward that exists in the world today. We're kings. We're queens. So much more than blessed. We are the wealthy. We are the rich. And so it says in 1 Timothy, these words that kind of rock our worlds. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have this experience that we're having right now. He wants us to enjoy the life that he has given to us. But our trust must be in him. Our hope must be in him. Command them, command us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's a life that's more than this. There's a life that's coming that's bigger than all this. We are kings and queens. And God says, do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share and lay up treasure in something that's so much more than this. And that's the experience that we had together as a church in a little village called Jamake, in an area called Kovi, Togo, Africa. Let me tell you the story. It begins with a team, people just like you who said, I will go, who prayed that prayer that Adam said last week was the, the most risky prayer of all, use me. And so this team of 12 went with me to Togo, uh, a diverse group. Most of us did not know each other when we left. God knit us together. God created this team. And on the last night with the team celebrating uh, the great experience that we had at this, this little open air restaurant, I named them the dream team. Not because they themselves were great, but because they, they gave and they gave, and when they were out of energy, they gave some more. Uh, they, they went wherever they had to go. They did whatever had to be done. No complaints. Everybody was fully equipped for the work. You can see how each team member was hand-selected by God to be on this team. Corey was always surrounded by kids. They just loved Corey. Dave Borton was always being the geologist. He was always 
you know, looking at what was coming out of that borehole and, and checking the mud and, and making sure that, that things were going in the right direction. He was recording everything in his, in his notes. Uh, Ashley and Erica and Peggy and some of the others were just always with the kids. Scott, Scott Fowler was always kicking a ball around with the kids. He brought a lot of soccer balls and equipment, and so he was always stirring up something. Scott Reppert was always... Well, we weren't sure what Scott Reppert was always doing. He was always doing something to make us laugh and to keep us energized and, and, and excited about what we were there to do. And each person had a place on the team. Each person, whether it was Sean wanting to be at the well site all the time, engaged in the process of training and helping these folks to understand what we were doing. And the great benefit that we, that we did actually was we allowed them to learn the process of drilling a well. Steve Stewart from Oklahoma City, he invented this pump that you can take anywhere in the world. It, it's, it's very inexpensive. You can build it just about anywhere in the world. And he was patiently training the people in the village so that when we left, they knew exactly how to replicate the drilling of this one well, that this is well number one. Because we believe there's going to be well number two, and there's going to be well number 15, there's going to be well number 87. It's just going to go on and on and on because each person played their role the way God equipped them to play their role. It was a great team. It was a great team to be with and to, and to serve with. And they worked hard. They went from early in the morning to late at night. There was very, the only downtime we had was the very first day we were waiting for a van to come and pick us up. And we were sitting and waiting and sitting and waiting and it seemed like an, an interminable amount of time. Then the van got there and the van wasn't any good. They had to replace the van. And, and you started to wonder, is this, is this going to be, is the week going to be like this? But as soon as that second van got there, it was nonstop for the next seven days. It was like one gigantic long day. And we were exhausted. But in the middle of that, we also had some fun. What we learned was that the people in, in Togo, they love to dance. They're very good at dancing. And we decided to kind of take them up on that challenge. And we had some fun together as a team while we were in Togo. Uh, you know, we, we worked so hard. We were exhausted at the end of the day, but we were being knit together by God to do something that he had called us to do. And we were doing that for the church. The church is the hope of the world. And we were church to church, heart to heart. The church there and Spring Branch are in one place wanting to know God better, wanting to, to worship him with a sense of passion. And we, we met great people uh, the church service two Sundays ago lasted four hours. It started, don't worry, I'm not getting any ideas. <laughs> but it, it, it started out with a parade. And, and I've never really been excited about parades. I don't like parades. I don't like to go to parades. I don't like to watch parades. But I learned the secret of parades. When a parade is all about you, it's fun. <laughs> so we're going into town and the parade is going on and it's all about us. And so we get there and we have the, the church service. And then there was baptism out at a river the day before. When we got there, the first thing we did was, was enter into a baptismal service. Just like we're going to have a service at the ocean, there was a service at the river. And so these were our brothers and our sisters. This was not, you know, you are less than us and we are better than you. This is 
We are here for one reason, to serve you because we love you. We are all in the same family because the church is the hope of the world. The kids, hundreds and hundreds of kids, beautiful kids, excited kids. Um, and we brought paper and, and pens and flippy flyer things and little lights and um, rubber bands, those friendship bracelets. And all I could think of as we were giving them, them out to the kids is we didn't bring enough. We didn't bring enough. There's so many kids. Can you imagine being excited and thrilled to receive three or four pieces of colored construction paper? Can you imagine that? There was, uh, there was so much joy that Sunday when we started to pass out the cards that our Promised Land kids made. We brought 300 and some cards, maybe 350 cards, each hand-drawn, hand-colored by one of our children here to pass on to those children there. And the kids gathered around, and they, they were jumping for those cards. And the rest of the day, and even into the next day, you didn't see one kid in the village who wasn't carrying around one of those cards. They were holding it tightly like it was gold. And they would carry them around, and they actually became collectible. So a kid would have a, a card with a heart on it, and he would trade it for a card with a Jesus on it. And they, you know, some kids had four or five cards, and they just held onto these cards like, this is the greatest thing in the world. Somebody made me a card. I have a card. One of the saddest things I saw that week was when one of our team members was giving out those little tiny goldfish crackers, and he was backed up against the van. And the kids were besieging him for little tiny goldfish crackers. And, and I said, it was time for us to go. I said, we got to go give the kids the bag of goldfish. Because I, I, I just thought naively that it'll, it'll work out. There's a lot of goldfish and a lot of kids and everybody will get goldfish. And when he gave them the bag of goldfish, it was, it was just, it was chaos. It was chaos over one bag of goldfish. And I thought, Oh, we didn't bring enough goldfish. We didn't bring enough paper. We could have done so much more. These kids were just so beautiful, but they needed so much. So every little thing was just so much more pronounced in that culture where things like this don't happen. You know, all that's going on is the corn is growing and the chickens are running by and the pigs are running by. There's not a whole lot going on. There's a, there's a statue out in front of the village, a wooden statue. It looks like a log with a bowling ball on it. It's a carved, it's a carved head. It has a little eyes and, and nose and a little expressionless mouth on it. We're driving by, and I said to the pastor, what's that? You see, there are all different kinds of beliefs surrounding the village. I said, what's that? He said, with a chuckle, he said, that's the, the God that's supposed to protect the village. Every day we drove by that God who was supposed to protect the village. He always looked the same. Never looked any different. Wasn't really doing anything. You know? uh, but in, in a situation where there's such desperation, there's still a wooden God that you hope does something for you. And towards the end of the week, I was getting 
more tired and more tired, and I was wondering, we're going everywhere. Why, why is that happening? And then it hit me. When you're in a place where there is very little hope, when a little bit of hope shows up, you hold on to it so tightly, you squeeze it and squeeze it. You can't afford to not squeeze every drop out of that little bit of hope. And because you stepped up to the plate and because we went there, we, we were a picture of a little bit of hope in people's lives. Let me show you how this works. It's just amazing to me to think about this. The story all begins here in Denmark where two pastors meet and their hearts kind of connect with each other. And, and I'm with this, this pastor named Michelle. We're having lunch. And I didn't even remember this till he reminded me about it in Togo. He said, you asked, what is your dream? And when I asked him, what is your dream? Without blinking an eye, he said, for my village to have water. My people are suffering because they have no, no clean source of water that's, that's enough to satisfy the need in the village. And then he said this, will you help me? I never thought about anything like that before but I was willing to see if God wanted to use me in that so I said I will I will try and so so I come home and here we are in VB and I make a call to Chicago to a good friend of mine I say do you know anybody who's doing anything with water missions he says I know somebody in Oklahoma City give them a call and so I call out there the next thing you know I'm going out there with, uh, with Bob Widener and Bob McKenzie from this church, and we're learning how to hand drill a well in Oklahoma City. We go down 20 feet and we hit water, all hand drilled, not real hard to do. So I say, okay, found the way that this works, but how do we do this over here? Unbeknownst to me, in Mobile, Alabama, there's a young couple Grace and Matt, there they are, Grace and Matt. Grace and Matt are praying in Mobile, Alabama, God, use us. We want to go somewhere, and we want to make a difference in the world with our lives. And God says, Grace and Matt, Grace and Matt, I will use you. I will use you in Togo, Africa. Grace and Matt were the key to the puzzle of what we needed because we're here, Water 4 is there, we can't quite figure out what's going on, and all of a sudden, we find out that this couple from Mobile, Alabama, through the Christian grapevine, however that works, is in Mobile, they're in Togo, Africa. So we hook up with them, they become part of the dream team. Years before they even get there, there's a young man who's an orphan, his name is Latte. Latte is, is adopted by, that's Latte, and I was fast friends with him, because if you notice the hat that he's wearing, New York Yankees hat, which to me, if I was praying for a sign that God was in this, that was the sign. 
And uh, so Latte's an orphan in Togo, Africa. He's adopted by a missionary couple. He's fluent in French, fluent in English, has a master's degree, and he has said, God, use me in my home country. I want to stay in Togo, and I want to serve you. So he gets hooked up with Matt and Grace. They, they become like this amazing force. And how does God do this? God puts together two pastors in Denmark, a, a ministry in Oklahoma City, a guy in Chicago who knows about that, a couple in Mobile, Alabama, an orphan who was adopted by missionaries. That's how God works. He pulls all these things together because he wants to get things done and he will use whoever says, use me. Use me. But here's what happened. About a month before we were supposed to go, we got a call from Order 4. They wanted a conference call. So we get on this conference call and they said, we don't think we're going to get a well on this trip. Not words that I wanted to hear. We don't think we're going to get a well. We already bought our tickets. We're, we have a team of, of 12 ready to go, plus Steve Stewart coming in from Oklahoma City. But Steve's actually on this phone call. We don't think we're going to get a well. We think we're going to stomp around. We're going to kick the dirt. We're going to try to figure things out. Maybe on the next trip. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going to Togo, Africa. Next trip, we're going now. We just want you to realize that with all of our knowledge, we do this all over the world. We don't think you're going to get a well. It's too deep. You have to go too deep. There's rock running under. There's granite that runs underneath this village. You go down somewhat, they said, 55 meters down, we're going to hit rock. We can't get through the rock. This is not going to work. I had to tell the team at our team dinner, um, we're going to go. If you don't want to go under these conditions, you don't have to go. But we're going to go. This might work. And when I said this might work, I was really going on faith. This might work, but we might come back no well. I could see the looks of disappointment right in front of me. But I had to be honest. So now we go. And, and get this picture. I have to preach. And, and they asked me to wear a suit before I went to Africa. So I didn't, it's not my idea to like wear a suit in Africa. It was, it was pretty hot. It was actually hotter here. Uh, but it was pretty hot there. I wouldn't have worn a suit here. And I'm wearing a suit there. And there's a tent and it's hot. But they said, you got to wear a suit. It's church. And so I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. They said, we want you to speak to us on Sunday. And I have to encourage all these people. You saw the people. I had to encourage them that we were here and we were representing hope for their village, knowing in my mind that everything on paper, all the geological stuff, all the scientific stuff said, we're not getting a well. I had to go on the last fumes of faith that I had left, believing that God's hand was on this and he was doing something. And so I preached on Nehemiah 1 and 2, where Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. The walls are busted down, broken down. The gates are burned with fire. And, and, and it looks impossible. And everybody's thought that it was impossible to rebuild it. And he goes back to Jerusalem. And he says to the people, we're going we're gonna to do this. 
And we're going to do this because God sent me here to do this. And God's going to give us success. And I had to tell the people in church that Sunday morning, this is not about us. God is going to give us success. It's God who will give us the water. And he's already given us the living water through his son, Jesus Christ. You want to be in a situation where you got to go on faith. That was it. That was it. So the next day they go out and they stomp around and they, they pick a spot. And then that night the, the, the church leaders call a meeting. Um, you can't go to that spot. It's outside of the village. You have to be in the village. And so they, the, they said, okay, we'll take a look at the village spots, but we're just not sure. The next day they found this spot and it turned out to be like the primo perfect spot. If you were going to try, this was it. Now, now, realize all the data, everything coming in is saying, you're not going to get water. There's rock under, under here. You, know, you got me, some crazy pastor who knows nothing about geology or anything, saying, well, God said, come over here to do this. You know, I know sometimes how Noah must have felt. You know, it's like, it's not raining. I'm building a boat. So, so, so they start digging this well, right? So they go down. And on the third day, they hit the rock. I was there when they were going bam, bam, bam. They hit the rock. But guess what? The water was on top of the rock. The water was flowing on top of the rock, and it was... It was dry season, and there was water, and, and they couldn't even believe it. And they called me just the other day from Oklahoma City, and they said, Steve Stewart said he's done this all over the world. That was the most incredible project that he has ever been on. They're walking around on top of that ground thinking it's impossible for years. The water was there. Guess who knew the water was there? God knew it was there. And God knew I was dumb enough to believe it. So he said, Simone, I'm just sending you because you don't know what's going on and, and you'll go. The moment, the moment my heart broke was when we, a camera crew came out from the Capitol and they were doing a national news story about us. Uh, it, it would be like being on, on nightly news with Diane Sawyer or something. And, uh, and so they came out with a camera and they interviewed me. And the pastor said, do you want to see our, our reservoir that where we catch the rainwater in rainy season? It's a man-made reservoir. And so uh, we said, sure. So I, I hadn't seen it. It was just down the road and you walk through, a, walk through a cornfield and you came out to this mud hole. It was just a mud hole. And that was the moment that my heart broke because this is what I saw when we got there. This is dirty, filthy, stagnant water. And I looked down at my feet and there was a rotting frog in the mud. And I saw little Natalie taking a drink. And I said, I would not let my granddaughters do this. 
I would probably not let my dogs do this. Why do we allow this? Why? Why? <laughs> Why do we allow that to happen? Well, it's not good. My heart just broke. And I knew why we were there. I knew why we were there, so that wouldn't have to happen anymore. And so here's the story. Here's the story of what happened. The congregation is watching a video of the completion of the new well. Fresh, clear, clean water is now available for all, and little Natalie and her village now have a safe water supply. The video concludes with an open doorway with simple words recently written above it. up over that doorway no reason for those words to be there that I could that I could figure out we're in a African village where the language is, is different than French and it's a French speaking country why did it say make a way God in chalk just above that door I don't know I don't know who put those words there but it was somebody's prayer and they wrote it above that door God made a way and God did what he wanted to do with some people who said use me with a church that said use us command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Take hold of that life. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for pouring out so much into our lives. Help us to see where you want us to go. Help us to know what you want us to do. Call us. May we be people after your heart. May we go and serve and do and be and become. May we follow your son wherever he leads. Make a way, God. Make a way using our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.